0: Thanks for joining us. My name is Jonathan Storman. I'm the preaching minister at the Pleasant Valley Church of Christ. Welcome to the series Wednesday Night Conversations. Whenever you're listening to them, we've brought in some of the best thinkers in church leadership and ministry, specifically on issues that we care about as a church, like racial reconciliation and evangelism and being an intergenerational church. If you're a part of PV or if you're outside of Pleasant Valley or even outside of Arkansas, I hope that this series will be as much a blessing to you as it has been to me. Hey, everyone. I am here today with John Wimps, who is not someone that I know very well, but I want to tell you the story of how I got to know Brother John. So earlier this year, which seems like, man, 20 years ago right now, um, me and the Cones and Dalen Moore and Leslie, we all went to this conference in Phoenix called the Alpha Conference which is a conference on evangelism, and there were thousands, uh, there was a couple thousand people there. And it was um, Christian leaders from every different tribe, Catholic, Protestant, um, from all over the U.S., and mostly areas that are outside of the Bible Belt. And I think we were the only church or one of the only churches from Arkansas and certainly from central Arkansas. And I don't think there was any other churches of Christ there but we go to this conference because it's a very effective evangelistic thing and john is one of the leaders at this conference and it turns out we're from the same kind of uh, background you're a christian church pastor and we know some of the same people like you know my old boss rick Ashley, who by the way i have told about you and alpha um and, and we started talking about evangelism and so, Brother John, uh, do you you have where do you live at?
1: I live in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, so it's about as rural. We're, we're like the last stop, and then it's cornfields. So okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, called Oswego, Illinois.
0: So you're you're closer to farming than you are the Chicago Cubs. Absolutely, I I am
1: like minutes away from farmland. I grew up on the farm, and uh, we're about an hour and twenty minutes from Chicago. So we're on the very far
0: outstretch of the the whole. They call it Chicago land. So we're on the edge of Chicago land. So you know, Church of the Christ and Christian churches, we're related. We're like cousins because we have all come from the Restoration Movement. You know who Barton Stone is and Alexander Campbell. Um, But while most of our, you know, ministers were out getting like master's degree or PhDs, most of y'all were out planning churches. And so one of the things I love about Christian churches is that you guys know what is effective in reaching people outside of church. Um, And and so most of Christian churches aren't really strong in the Bible Belt, which is where Churches of Christ are the strongest. You're strong outside the Bible Belt. What, what is the world like outside of the Bible Belt that people in the Bible Belt need to know is coming?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, and, and just for background, I, I didn't grow up in the church at all. Uh, first 18 years of my life, and then I came to Christ, and it was at a Christian church, independent Christian church, and went to a restoration movement, Bible college, and got a degree there. And then actually did a master's degree in church history, where you know I, I actually went around and visited some of the you know uh, the historical spots for the Restoration Movement, and um, been to Campbell's home, been to Cane Ridge, been to you know all of these places, uh, you know throughout the South. We did a little traveling tour, and it was fascinating because uh, you know when we talk about what is coming, you think about the origins of our movement the restoration movement you know on the pioneer they were living at a time where it was very new territory as well you know the times were changing around them and the Uh heartbeat you know they were really the the initial kind of catalyst was a desire for unity uh and and really just to be christians
0: yeah and just new testament christians yeah
1: yeah, we're, we're Christians only, and we're just yes. going to follow the Bible. We're going to work from what's clear. And, uh, you know, so I think that particular emphasis is really important and, and why I love our conversation today, because from that, Jesus prayed in John 17, when we experience unity, then the world will know that yeah. God sent his son into the world. And so it's from that kind of enriched soil that, the seeds of the gospel can take root right. and bloom. And so, you know, what I'm seeing now, you know, as I kind of came to faith in the Christian church, educated in the Christian church, planted churches with the Christian church, did campus ministry with the Christian church. Um, and it, it just like my my territory in many ways, just I continued to just step outside a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So yeah. now I'm working with churches all over the world from every denomination and realizing, man, the, you know, Christian churches, non-instrumental churches, they're not cousins. Like when you, when you look at the breadth of the kingdom, yeah, uh, we are absolutely brothers and sisters. Amen. Yeah, that's right. You're right.
0: That's a great way to say that.
1: You know, so close. But what we're seeing, you know, just around the world, um, culturally, what's coming to Arkansas, I can't say, but what I do know is you look at how culture has shifted over the last 20 and 30 years yeah. and all the assumptions about faith, uh, God being real, the Bible is trustworthy, churches can be trusted, faith is even something that's relevant. All of that has shifted. Yeah, And the questions that people have are not necessarily the questions that the church
0: is prepared to answer. So can i dig in on that i feel like the most people in our churches in the bible belt are prepared to answer what must i do to be saved how many people are asking you that question in chicago i have never actually i
1: have one time one single time um i had a guy ask me that exact question um and it was in the carnival i grew up in the carnival selling funnel cakes true story my, my, family, yeah. <laughs> my family traveled around chicagoland we sold funnel cakes in the carnival that was our family business so we sold food and everything and i was uh praying for this one guy who sold food next to me and you know we'd have conversations like every day and then um he would see different signs you know christian signs or whatever and he's like i saw this one that says you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you've been saved he's like how do you how does that happen you know and it was yeah. like Wow. I mean, that was as point blank as possible. Um, But nobody's asking that question that I'm in contact with. What kind Uh, of questions do they ask? You know, what I hear tends to be way less head questions and way more heart questions. So, you know, I'll ask this question at the beginning of Alpha all the time. You know, If it turned out God were real, you could ask anything, what would you ask? That's the open question uh, that we would ask. And a lot of the questions have to do with matters of the heart. Um, why did my you know, uncle die the way that he did? Yeah. Or my younger brother have a tragic you know, motorcycle accident. Why, why did he have to die like that? Or why does suffering happen? Or, you know, like there's, people are trying to sort life out yeah. at a heart level as much as a head level so not everybody's asking you know just heart questions some people are asking head questions but we typically are trained within church world to answer the head questions right and not necessarily create space for the heart questions uh you know at a relational level and yeah. when you get close to people and you're just talking and the things that really they wonder about late at night it's real life questions that you and i wrestle with too that's and right. they're very human in nature and then you know i think once you can create some space for some of those heart questions to come out then they start to get curious about some of the other things that maybe they've thought about or heard at a head yeah. level but i don't know if that's helpful but that's no it, t- it's
0: very helpful because i think i do think that we talk past one another church people and unchurched people a lot um in my experience people who are on the outside of church they don't, they're not, well, we're trained, we are trained to answer questions that have uh some Christianity has already been in the works there, you know, like, so to yeah. answer the question, what, what must I do to be saved? Saved from what? Save, you know, like, we're assuming there's a God, that there's something to be saved from, that God, you know, so in the world that, One of the most striking things about Alpha, I've never been to a conference like this, and we'll talk about Alpha next week in in that portion of the conversation, but one of the more striking things about Alpha coming from Little Rock, Arkansas, was there was so many different kinds of Christians that if you were to stand up and say something like, uh, who believes in one saved, always saved? You could have started a riot or, you know, uh, whatever it was, if you were to stand up and talk about one of the places that there would be maybe some disagreement on some doctrinal issues, you could have started like, but they were all cooperating and working together, all felt like they were on the same team. In the Bible Belt, it feels like, and again, I've worked in more post Christian settings with my adult ministry, but I've moved back to the Bible Belt. It feels like there is a sense of competition instead of cooperation mm. um, among churches. And and that, that's I think we're on the last st- uh, stages of that because I don't think there's enough um, critical mass to keep that up. But one of the great things about post-Christianity in my experience is you realize what you just said. We're not cousins. We're brothers and sisters. And, yeah, we disagree on these things that matter, and we can have those conversations – But the most important thing is not whether you believe in once saved, always saved, or whether instrumental music is okay or, you know, whatever. The most important thing is making disciples of Jesus Christ. And it it was a breath of fresh air being at the Alpha Conference, seeing Francis Chan, for example, pray over Catholic priests. Like, you know what I mean? I I feel like that is a great gift. That post-Christianity can give our churches. Is that true everywhere outside of the Bible belt in your experience?
1: Oh no, not at all. I mean, there's there's issues of division everywhere in the world. And, you know, and then there's these, you know, pockets of unity where the church is realizing the unity that they have, and it's really beautiful. I I think that's, you know, that's not geographical in nature. Uh that's certainly been a challenge for the church throughout the ages. Sure. Uh, you know, but I think what's so, I was i was kind of using an analogy. It's its kind of like when you go to grandma's for, for Christmas and uh, maybe your brother, you, you come from a large family. So your brothers and sisters have kind of scattered all around the country and they all have their own families now. And they've developed their own traditions and the way that they like to do Christmas. But you can still get together at grandma's house, even though you mm. celebrate Christmas a little bit different because it's still Christmas dinner and yeah. you're still family and i think we can get so caught up in the the different ways that we like to celebrate christmas the different traditions that we've developed and forget the point that we're still gathering together to celebrate somebody's birthday it's jesus's okay. birthday you know like that's we're yeah people. that's a great analogy and so you know across the world um i think one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is to play upon our fears of one another, you know, or our misunderstandings of one another. I mean, you think about Jesus and what he prayed in John 17. This is the moment when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And many people will remember, he was at the rock, you know, this famous picture, and he's down and he's praying. And scripture describes that he prayed with such intensity that he was sweating drops of blood. And in that prayer time, he is praying the words in John 17 that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. Yeah. And that when that happens, when we experience perfect unity, then the world will know that God sent his Son into the world and the world will know that they're loved just as much as the Father loves Jesus. Wow. And he is praying blood is coming out of him for unity. There's no other reference in scripture to Jesus's prayers where he prayed with such intensity. His prayer for unity evoked a physical response like we've not seen anywhere else in scripture. And so if we take, you know, issues of unity lightly, uh, then we, we miss the whole point. I mean, think about, you know, families, you know, parents don't want to see their, their kids fight. They want to see their kids coming together, getting along, encouraging one another, supporting one another when one is having a hard time, and they're being a family. And I think God feels the same way about us. You know, how it must grieve his heart when we don't live in the unity that he experiences for eternity, you know, in the Trinity. And so I think there's a, a, a gospel call it is what it means to be a Christ follower. We are part of a family throughout history. And, you know, we are part of Christ's body. And so Paul writes about it in First Corinthians. And he says, you know, can one hand say to the other hand, you're not needed? Or can the, you know, right. it, it's foolish for us to not honor one another. And And sure, we have differences. Just like the eye has differences with the foot. They're not the same. Yeah. But they're both needed. And they both play in a central park. So I think, you know, in our communities, in Little Rock, in wherever community people live, it all starts with just knowing people and having a relationship. Because I remember, it, it's so fun, we do like the Alpha Conference. It's just like this big kingdom family reunion where people- Yeah, that's together. right. And for some, it's the first time they've ever maybe sat next to a Catholic person and then had a conversation and then uh, prayed for each other. And um, priests love it. The Catholic priests are like, oh, this is so great. You know, I had this Protestant lay person pray for me and I got to pray for them. And uh, I remember we did this uh, trip to London one time where we took a group of pastors over to London uh, to just talk about issues of evangelism and sharing faith. And there was this moment where there was about 50 of us total and maybe 10 Catholic priests were in the group. And there was this Protestant pastor and he said, you know, I really feel like we need to pray right now for these Catholic priests. So we all circled up and we all got together and we laid hands on these Catholic priests. And this one <laughs> Protestant pastor prayed and he said, I want to just publicly on behalf of all of my Protestant brothers and sisters repent mm-hmm. for the thinking that the church started at the Reformation. And at that moment, and then there was a moment of silence, and these Catholic priests began to weep, and they just began to sob. Like it was, it was so emotional, and you could just feel like God's presence over the whole group. And then, you know, we all went around. We just prayed over these priests, and then the priests turned around and they prayed over us with tears in their eyes. And a a friend, a pastor friend of mine pulled me aside after that. And he said, what was that about? He said, I feel like we just took a stake. Like we were on the moon and we just put a stake in the ground for the kingdom of God. Yeah. And said, we are together. And the gates of hell just began to shake in fear Uh. because we had come together. And it was a holy moment. It was incredible. But, you know, unity has that strength to it and that power. When a family comes together, uh, there is power there. There's love. There's grace. It's incredible. So I think that, you know, we talk about evangelism. That's the core ingredient.
0: So you, you made a reference to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. And most churches, when I hear that preached, they're thinking about the body as the in, that one actual church, you know, like, so sister Edna's got the gift of, you know, nursery role and brother sure. Tom's got the, you know, um, but I, I actually think that's a huge insight to think of it as the global church because each tribe is going to emphasize different things that are needed and not the full truth, but all, you know, a, an emphasis of a truth that can be neglected or, which is what happened in the Reformation. And um, <clears throat> here's here's what I love about Alpha and what you guys are doing. And you're – because evangelism is the North Star at Pleasant Valley. And it's also – it's the whole reason y'all exist. Y'all came out of the Anglican Church, uh, post-Christian England, trying to figure out how to reach people who were walking away from Christianity in record numbers, and now that's in America – One of the things I get the impression of at the Alpha Conference and with what y'all are doing and why your emphasis on unity is so um, effective is in marketing world, there's this thing called red, red ocean, blue ocean. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So like red ocean is uh, saturated. So it's Mm -hmm. the sharks have already eaten. There's blood in the water. And then they ask, okay, well, what about the blue ocean, the place that's not oversaturated? And one of the reasons I was asking the question about the Bible Belt, outside of the Bible Belt with unity, is it feels like for the longest time, the assumption where uh, I'm at is that people would graduate high school or college um, and they were going to go to church. And so what you were trying to do is get them to not go to the Methodist church or not go to the you know, Baptist church, but go to your church um, or, uh, even more specific they were going to go to church and they were going to go to a church of Christ. And so what you were trying to do is get them to go to your church of Christ. And so that's red ocean, but the world that is coming and and is already here in Little Rock, um, in a lot of ways is a blue ocean. And so that's, that's why y'all are able to, I mean, you, you all, we have disagreements that matter and, um, we can press, those disagreements but not at the expense of unity because there is a blue ocean that's right yeah there's
1: there's so many people jonathan in our world that don't know jesus
0: right you
1: know and we're busy we're busy shuffling sheep around and the world is dying without jesus all around us i wonder
0: i don't i don't know how often we consider this State of people who die without the Lord or or not just even that who live without the Lord and we were talking earlier about um you were you were saying that the the number one priority if you're going to be an evangelistic church is to know people who who are outside of church. How do you do that? It because it seems like what are the statistics that once once somebody becomes a Christian within a few years, they lose all connection to their unchurched friends,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean that's a very common thing and it's not a bad thing necessarily I think it's it's actually a very normal thing because you know when when somebody comes to know Jesus, they need to surround themselves with Christ followers. they have to learn, they have to be taught, they have to you know, and they want to be around Christ followers because there's this whole new you know world to them that, right is so important. And, and so just naturally what happens is relationships need nurturing, right? They need, you have to spend time with people if you want those relationships to continue. And as they begin spending more time with Christians, their non-Christian friends begin to just kind of go off and, you know, they lose contact. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just a, it's just the state of things that happens. And, you know, if you want to be an evangelistic church, I think the number one thing is love. Mm. you know I mean it evangelism always comes from love and if it comes from anything other than love then it's gonna be twisted it's gonna feel forced it's gonna feel
0: like a used uh, car salesman
1: yeah somebody's gonna feel like a target is on their back and they're just being Mm. used nobody wants to feel used but everybody wants to feel loved everybody wants to feel known and heard. I mean, there we are created as humans to be known,
0: yeah. and
1: uh, to be loved, to be accepted, to belong. And right now, I mean, in the middle of a pandemic, we people are experiencing this more than ever. That innate desire—they're so isolated, they're so lonely—and we have a massive opportunity to love the world, to love people, and. Yeah. But the, the problem, Jonathan, is you know, we just did a recent study with Barna and found that almost 40% of practicing Christians have zero relationships with non-Christians. Hmm. So, it, you know, if you look at it from the bright side of that perspective, that could mean that they've let all their non-Christian friends and family members to <laughs> yeah. Jesus over, right? yeah.
0: probably Probably doesn't mean that most of the time. It, it yeah. may
1: not mean that, but let's say it did. <laughs> You know, that's great for the moment, but it's terrible for the future of, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, where we're going. So even if people did have a desire to want to share their faith, they don't have anybody to share their faith with. Yeah. And so the priority has to be to view ourselves as missionaries to the world. Right. And if we don't, if we don't view ourselves as missionaries, You know, and we just become comfortable living in our community, taking care of ourselves, caring about ourselves, taking care of our church, making sure the grass is cut. And that's our priority. Then we miss the mandate of the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And so, you know, you think about missionaries who live on the mission field. If you've ever been in a missionary context or ever gone on a mission trip, To a country that doesn't have a lot of Christian activity. What's fascinating is you meet a Methodist out there who's trying their best to sow the seeds of the gospel, and you're like, oh my gosh, another Christian. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, all of a sudden, any differences that you have are just immediately gone because finally there's somebody else who knows about Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, so I think when we view ourselves as missionaries, and keep that focus on how do I orient my time? How do I go to my job as a missionary? How do I show up at my school if I'm a student as a missionary? How do I, how can I genuinely begin to come before Jesus and say, look, you've sent me. I need to live from a place of being sent. Then you begin to look at people differently when you go to the grocery store or when you eat at a restaurant or you, you know, spend time with a coworker. And it's not, you have to be careful when you view yourself as a missionary that you're not just on a project, but you're operating from the place of love. Yeah. And that requires you spend time with people. And when (laughs) you spend time with people, you you grow in your love for them,
0: you know? Do you you have any best practices or stories of people going to their works and schools and off, you know, thinking like a missionary rooted in love.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, there are so many because it's really, it's a mindset shift. Like you can change right now how you go to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's just beginning to capture God's heart for his work. Right. Instead of our heart, For our little corner of it and so yeah i think of stories um and there was a guy who came through alpha and loved it and he was he just worked at honda and he was you know in the uh car you know you pull your car in you know just to get your car worked on he would just meet customers there find out what they needed and everything else and that was his job he became such an effective missionary in his work at Honda, he started inviting, he just started hanging out with all of his coworkers and just having coffee in the break room, you know, because they have coffee there in the waiting room. They just go grab yeah. a coffee and over lunch, they just spend time together. And it wasn't, hey, let's go have a gospel conversation. It was, hey, let's just go hang out. Yeah. And let's spend some time together. And he just got to know his coworkers. And then when it was natural, you know, they would ask him, well, what did you do this weekend? And, you know, he's like, oh, well, we, we do this thing called Alpha. And actually, me and my wife, we spend time, you know, with that. And they're like, what's Alpha? And they're like, oh, well, it's just a place to have conversations about life. And, you know, and people are like, really? That sounds really interesting. Like, yeah, yeah we, we have spiritual conversations where we talk about things that people have always wondered about. People lean in a little bit more, you know. And so just mm-hmm. one by one, just by spending time with people, not trying to evangelize them, but just trying to get to know them, find out what's important to them. What, yeah. you know, what what do they really care about? What are they interested in? And just be a friend, right? And know people and be known. And then once that happens, then then you know, sharing faith is just being yourself with a friend or with a neighbor, and it's very natural. And so I think that the, the first place to start is you know you go to your neighbors. Um, we moved into our neighborhood back in 2012 and we moved up here. Um, we just got to know our neighbors one by one, you know, spending time with them. It was easy for us. We had kids. So we just, you know, uh, when, instead of, you know, texting our kids to come home, we just go show up, find them and get to know the parents and spend small talk. And it's amazing how just being a good neighbor, wherever you live, uh, has the ability just to make you a blessing in and that's age. right you become you, salt in life
0: have you heard of the book gospel comes with a house key i like that yeah, i actually,
1: i've heard that i don't think i've read it but i've heard that title. man
0: over over quarantine when it first started i read that book and there's not a book that has changed my actual calendar more this year um because it, it's just um, it's a profound book about radical, ordinary Christian hospitality, uh, for anybody listening that, that w- if you're wondering about how to change your neighborhood, that would be a good place to start. Um, so uh, I, what you just described sounds awfully Jesusy to me. And I mean that in the best possible way, be a friend. I mean, he was defined as a friend of sinners, hmm. John, it strikes me that most of the time in churches in the Bible Belt, we think of holiness as being different than I told you before this started. That I have a Bible study with uh, nuns, N O N E S, on Sunday nights, and I'm watching these young twenty somethings. I'm watching them change, and every night when I go to sleep on Sunday nights, I'm, I'm just so I'm so grateful to God for it. And here's what I think: Every single Sunday night, the one that is in me is greater than the one that is in the world. And there's not enough holiness in the world. And what is happening is, I'm getting to see holiness played out not by abstaining or being avoiding sinful people or sin, but by being different in the middle of them. Mm-hmm. And like it, it the holiness is actually changing. Um, their life and, and it's a really non-judgy space that they use words that you would expect non-Christians to use they say things you would expect they've done things you would expect people who didn't grow up with any faith have done and yet as they're reading through the bible as they're having conversations that deep hunger for you know meaningful conversations and to know and be known is there and i i feel like once, I, I, our, you don't know our church, but our people are really godly and loving. That That's a real strength that they have. Once they know some of these people, I think their holiness would start to be really good news for them. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I. so we're going to, come back next week and talk about specifically what it is you do. Cause y'all don't know, but he's kind of a big deal in this organization Um, that PV is hoping to partner with in a really big way. John, thank you so much for your heart for evangelism. And I am, I thought when we met at the alpha conference, I thought it was like a sign from God because mm-hmm. everybody else there was further along. Um And and, you know, we, us having mutual friends and having a mutual kind of background was so helpful. So I want to bring you to Pleasant Valley at some point in the near future to talk about Alpha. But until then, next week, uh, we'll talk about Alpha on online. Do you mind closing out this week with a prayer for Pleasant Valley and our church to be like the missionaries Jesus intended?
1: Absolutely. I would love to. Let's pray, Lord. Before you ever gave us the great commission to go uh, make disciples of all nations, you gave us the great commandment to love, mm. uh, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors just like we love ourselves. So I pray for Pleasant Valley. I pray that you would Deepen and strengthen a longing for you and for their neighbors Mm. that they would love you with everything they are and that they would learn what it means to love their neighbors as themselves. So I pray uh, just for that longing that you would place that longing in each person and maybe for some you would just, there's a flicker, there's a little flame there that you would just fan that into flame for them and rekindle uh, a fire maybe that was once there for both you and for their neighbors. I know that you will, Lord, this is your will for us that we would be people of love. So Lord, would you increase love and just pour love into Pleasant Valley right now and love for one another within the church, God, we just pray for you to pour out love on this church and that it would overflow naturally uh, into the world that is so desperate for it. So Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, John.